More protests over bank freezes broke out in China over the weekend. Customers say they can't access their money, while those who gathered to demonstrate were met with violence. Eyewitnesses blame it on plainclothes police. Secretary of State Blinken met with his Chinese counterpart. The talks were described as a path toward easing tensions between Washington and Beijing. Secretary Blinken and Taiwan's vice president visit Tokyo to pay their respects to former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. China's Xi Jinping also extended condolences. No, like he jumped. And an American singer tells us how she escaped Shanghai's lockdown. That's after witnessing suicide, protests and being forced out of her home. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Violence erupted during a mass protest in one central Chinese city. Workers that resembled law enforcement arrived on scene to disperse the event, but were later seen beating certain demonstrators. Among those hurt, pregnant women and disabled people. Here are the details. Zhengzhou, China. Thousands of bank customers gathered in front of the Central Bank of China in the city of Zhengzhou over the weekend. They were after their frozen savings. Some banks in China have been struggling to process withdrawals in recent months, leaving customers blocked from accessing their own money. Based on the latest update from local financial service authorities, deposit amounts under $7,500 can be paid out in advance. Others will need to wait for further instructions. But China affairs expert Gordon Chang says it's still not guaranteed those in the first group will get their savings. I imagine some people will, but many people will not. And, and that is going to be this crisis, that um, people who have thought that they, you know, their life savings were safe, they aren't. The weekend demonstration marks the biggest mass protest in China in recent years. But as soon as the event began, a group of unidentified men in white shirts arrived on the scene to stamp down the gathering. Some of them were seen battering demonstrators. Ms. Zhang witnessed the events. She says she recognized some of the perpetrators as local police in plain clothes. From 5 o'clock in the morning, we had two to 3,000 people arrive one after another, and then there were many uniformed police officers and many plainclothes ones on the side of Zhengzhou, Henan province, and they numbered about three to 4,000 and then surrounded us. Before the protest clamped down, some protesters were heard shouting, give me my money back. Others held banners with slogans like anti-oppression, demand democracy and rule of law. One eyewitness said each demonstrator had to face off against three perpetrators. This is the typical playbook of the Communist Party to um, intimidate, to use uh, force. We have old people, children, disabled people, pregnant women, among the demonstrators, once these people in white and black clothes came, no matter who you were, first of all, they directly dragged you away. We had a disabled person sitting in a wheelchair who was also violently carried away by them. And then pregnant women were also taken away by them. Protests related to the frozen bank assets started in May. Several rural banks in Hunan and Anhui provinces shut down their withdrawal functions. Altogether, nearly $5.8 billion is blocked from getting withdrawn. 
The official explanation says the problem is due to internal system upgrades. Hundreds of households have been affected. Reports say some people with severe illnesses have even passed away as a result, since they were unable to cover their medical fees and get treatment. As for what's behind the bank issue... China's going through a debt crisis, and part of that debt crisis is that the banks are illiquid. It was in front of the People's Bank of China, which is the central bank. So people understand that the crisis is not just any one institution. It's a crisis which is systemic. We can see, for instance, that China's large property developers, like Evergrande, but also others, are defaulting. The other big property developers, um, although not nearly as indebted, have basically can't pay back their debts anyway. In the end, reports show the weekend demonstrators were forcibly transferred to detention centers in Zhengzhou. Details said they were released later that afternoon. Over the weekend, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with his Chinese counterpart for the first time this year. That's amid hostility that has come to define recent relations between Washington and Beijing. Here's more on what they discussed. In a relationship as complex and consequential as the one between the United States and China, there is a lot to talk about. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with his Chinese counterpart Wang Yi Saturday for the first time since last October. According to Blinken, they discussed a range of issues, from tariffs, trade and human rights, to disputes over the South China Sea and Taiwan. The talks had been arranged in an effort to rein in the hostility that has come to define relations between Washington and Beijing. During the more than five hours of talks, Blinken raised concerns over Beijing's alignment with Moscow. More than four months now into this brutal invasion, the PRC is still standing by Russia. Uh, it's echoing Russian propaganda around the world. Uh, it's shielding Russia in international organizations. PRC stands for People's Republic of China, the country's formal name. Blinken said Chinese leader Xi Jinping made it clear in a call with President Vladimir Putin last month that Beijing stands by Russia. On the other hand, the Chinese foreign minister blamed the U.S. for the strained relations between Washington and Beijing. The Chinese ministry released a statement accusing Americans of having China-phobia, adding that if such threat expansion is allowed to grow, U.S. policy toward China will be a dead end with no way out. Blinken traveled to Thailand on Sunday. There, he urged China and members of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations to pressure Myanmar's rulers into returning to democracy. Blinken's visit to Thailand was intended to strengthen U.S. ties with the key regional ally part of efforts to counter Chinese influence across the Indo-Pacific. The Secretary of State didn't mention China by name in his comments with Thai officials, but said the U.S. and Thailand share the same goal of a free, open, interconnected, prosperous, resilient and secure Indo-Pacific. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping are expected to speak in the coming weeks. That's according to what U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Sunday at a news conference. In response to a question, Blinken said, with regard to Xi and Biden, our expectation is that they will have an opportunity to speak in the weeks ahead. But he added that he couldn't say whether those talks will mark their first face-to-face -face meeting. The U.S. regards China as its main strategic rival and says high-level engagement is important to keep stable relations with Beijing. Blinken spoke one day after a five-hour-long meeting with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. Both described their Saturday talks as candid.
Biden and Xi Jinping had a virtual meeting last November. The two parties talked about bilateral relations and how to manage competition responsibly. News of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's assassination shocked the world last week. World leaders shared statements honoring Japan's former PM and expressing their regret over the tragedy. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Tokyo at the end of his Asia trip. Representing the Biden administration, he offered condolences from Washington. Taiwan Vice President William Lai also flew to Tokyo for Abe's funeral. It's the first time Taiwan has sent a high-profile official to Japan since the two broke off diplomatic relations in 1972, after Japan's recognition of the People's Republic of China. The Taiwan side insisted in describing the Taiwan trip as a personal visit, while outsiders believe it's a sign of boosting Taipei and Tokyo's relationship for confronting China. The head of the Chinese regime, Xi Jinping, also expressed his condolences over Shinzo Abe's death. Xi's remarks came one day after the assassination. He said he spoke not only on behalf of Chinese authorities, but also the 1.4 billion Chinese people. But not all Chinese citizens seem to share his view. Many stores in China have hung banners celebrating Abe's death, while pictures and videos on Chinese social media mock the assassination. During his remarks, Xi Jinping noted Abe's contribution to improving China and Japan relations. But that issue is another one many Chinese people seem to disagree with. Decades-long disputes between China and Japan are mostly linked to territorial issues over the certain small islands in the East China Sea, as well as the conflicts left from the Sino-Japanese wars. Abe had visited the Yasukuni Shrine multiple times when he was Japan's prime minister. The monument aims to honor the Japanese that died during war. It's considered a controversial site and one linked to Japan's invasion of China and South Korea during World War II. Abe had taken heavy criticism from China for years over his visit. Looking to the Western world, Jens Stoltenberg, Secretary General of NATO, described Shinzo Abe as a defender of democracy. Abe dedicated himself to improving peace in the Indo-Pacific region. He had strongly improved Japan-U.S. cooperation and showed support for Taiwan. Under Abe's administration, Japan started to increase defense spending, an effort to counter communist China. Food shortages, protests, witnessing suicide, and even being forced out of your own home. One American singer told us about what she experienced while under lockdown in Shanghai and how she escaped. Entity's Juliet Song has more on that. Over a month after fleeing Shanghai under lockdown, singer Mickey Murphy says she still has nightmares about it. That was one of the most difficult experiences of my entire life. Um, uh, I mean, it, it was just, it was just like the, it happened so fast, like the, the switch of a button. A singing contract took Murphy to China in 2007. Since then, she's kept China as her base while taking up gigs in other countries. This March, officials in Shanghai put most of the city's 26 million residents under lockdown, including Murphy. I came home from work to find my building surrounded by people in hazmat suits and the police, and my building was roped off. And so uh, they informed me that, well, if you go in, you can't come back out. There's positive cases. 
She was not allowed to leave her apartment building from that point on. I'm in the lobby. In the beginning, we could take our trash down to the lobby, and that was it. Murphy and other residents also had to get tested for the virus every day. And it's very terrifying every time we take the test because if you're positive, you will be taken to a centralized quarantine facilities and conditions are not good there. So every day is a prayer that I come up negative again. One of her neighbors refused to get tested. They put a chain on his door and I mean, he was just a few doors down from me. So that was just horrifying. She says the situation kept getting worse. We were getting so many cases. My neighbors next door to me, across from me, and next to them and, and across from them, uh, they all had quarantine. If you were, if you were, had close contacts, they would put a quarantine, um, stick a quarantine uh, sign on your door and you were not allowed to come out. She said the situation later grew more dire. We had difficulties getting food. And residents that tested positive were taken to centralized quarantine facilities. <coughs> and they were posted in the groups. This is where they have us. And so people were upset. Even though people were not allowed to protest, Murphy says at a certain time at night. So people would start banging pots and yelling as a, as a means of protesting. <laughs> But one night, she heard a different kind of yelling. I distinctively heard a man's voice, and, it, and he was just crying and screaming in like a, this kind of terror that just sent chills up my spine. So I ran to the window, and I'm trying to look out, and, um, and I hear women joining in, and they're all screaming, and they're all sounding so terrified. I'm like, oh my God, do you think, what is it, a fire? Because I don't understand the language, and I just, I, I know that this is, a, this is a desperate cry out. She then checked her community's social media group chat. There, residents communicated with each other while under lockdown. And they're like, he jumped. And so then they start posting videos of a man who had committed suicide. In the video, residents tried to revive the man after his fall. I don't know what his situation was, but uh, I mean, a, a lot of people were in a desperate situation, you know, because they we were all, we couldn't go out, people couldn't do business, and, and uh, I guess people were losing businesses. The man died eventually. At this point, the apartment building was in its second month under lockdown. That's also when Murphy says she started getting claustrophobic. Because at one point they, they said, we're cutting off the elevators when we're not doing testing, because they were doing everything to keep people from leaving their apartments. The building she was living in is a 19-story high-rise. Murphy's apartment was on the 17th floor. The stairwells are not ventilated, so can you imagine if something happened, like a fire, and you had to try to get out by climbing down an unventilated stairwell? And that's exactly what happened inside a building near Murphy's community. <laughs> A witness at the scene sent video of the blaze to Murphy's apartment group chat. And because they were also fenced in, the entry doors, the, 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 the fire department was not able to, to get onto the property and save the building. So the entire building burned down, including um, the vehicles that were housed in the garage beneath. So um, 
I can't say that anybody was injured, um, but yeah. So it, it just just knowing that you were in, in you could possibly be in that kind of danger. The thought that you can't get out. As things got worse, we were not allowed to go out. Eventually, we couldn't even go out to take our trash out. They would come to our door to test us, either give us the, 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 the COVID test or the antigen. On top of isolation, there were also food shortages. I was eating whatever I could. Um, when I could get veggies, I, I, I would try to make like sort of pots of soup, you know, because they lasted for days. I could, I could eat off of it four to five days. She says she started eating less. Uh, to try to ration your food to get you through the week. The situation came to a head when residents gathered to protest on another floor. What happened was they were angry. They were angry about the lack of food. They were angry, you know, uh, about the, 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 the lies about the, the quarantine facilities and, you know. Coming up, more on what happened to the Shanghai residents that lodged the protest, plus the evacuation that put singer Mickey Murphy on edge. We'll continue the story after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before the break, American singer Mickey Murphy recounted seeing a suicide and a protest during Shanghai's lockdown. But much more happened while she was stuck in the city. Next, she shares how she ended up being forced out of her own home. Here's more. Some people were beaten. Some people were, were taken out. Uh, there was a SWAT team outside, the police were out there, and I was just terrified. After the protest, residents were ordered to evacuate the building. Within a couple of days, they started evacuating um, just hundreds of people, and you had no choice. You had to go. Everyone had to go. I was scared of where they were going to take me. She also had other concerns. Because they were breaking into apartments and spraying people's things. Um, ruining electronics, just spraying over everything with this antibacterial. And so that was a whole nother thing that people were upset about. So she contacted the U.S. consulate in Shanghai. The, the embassy was like, well, you're a foreigner, so they're not supposed to go in your apartment if you, without your permission. But the representatives from the consulate also cautioned her. At this point, we'll do everything we can to protect you, but we're in quarantine as well. So if it happens, you know, don't resist. You know, you're, you're ultimately uh, subject to the laws of the land. The consulate stepped in to help her negotiate. Murphy was the last one to be taken from her building, and she was sent to a hotel for a short quarantine period. Okay. This is what I look like with hazmat. <laughs> Two years of COVID. Are we there yet? While there, she booked the flight back to the U.S. But leaving China isn't easy. And then I had to give the details to the embassy, and then they had to ask my community leaders to let me leave because it was the middle of lockdown, and they could have said no. Murphy says she had to get permission for every step, from leaving her apartment to going to the airport. 
Even my embassy reps made me aware that, you know, well, we have to, we'll, we'll talk to them on your behalf, but they could say no, you know. So you're pretty much at, at their mercy. Before Murphy left for the airport, she recorded a final video in her apartment. So I'm saying goodbye for the last time. I'm 35 minutes out from my driver picking me up. This is my kitchen and the window that I stare out so many days. Her unit wasn't tiny, spanning two stories with two bedrooms and two bathrooms. But I became very claustrophobic because I had been in there isolated for such a long time. And, you know, when you're told you can't go out, you know, it just does something. You're still, you still feel like, you know, like you're in a nice prison. <laughs> like, like, like you can't go outside and just get natural sunlight. She says she enjoyed most of her time in China. I felt uh, um, comfortable there. And I felt like even though I didn't speak the language, that I felt a sense of safety up until that happened. So it was just like all of a sudden you, you had no freedom. She had two days to pack before heading to the airport. I had to leave basically everything I owned except for what I could fit in five suitcases. Um, you can see all the costumes, many of which were tailor-made. And um, not only have sentimental value, but they cost a lot of money. Um, but there's just no room. I had to choose, you know. When she stepped out of the door. Farewell, Shanghai, for the last time. And to my friends and family, I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. But as Murphy was waiting for her driver to pick her up, there was another concern hanging on her heart. She knew many foreigners trying to leave China said their flights had been canceled. If your flight canceled, then that was a whole nother problem because you cannot, once you leave your apartment community, guess what? You can't come back. And so there weren't many hotels because a lot of the hotels were being used as quarantine facilities or they just wouldn't take foreigners. So there were people who'd been in the airport for a, like a week, and some with animals and with their families. You know, nothing was open in the airport, no restaurants. That didn't happen to Murphy, though. She boarded the plane and landed in San Francisco hours later. It just, it just felt like, you know, I, I'm home, you know. Um, I felt a, a sense of ease, um, but also, you know, a, a weird sense of sadness. Murphy believes China now has a different attitude toward foreigners, adding that thousands of foreigners are leaving the country. She's now back in Florida, trying to rebuild her life. Juliet Song, NTD News. A Department of Homeland Security officer has been indicted for helping China. Charged on Thursday, he's accused of harassing Chinese dissidents in the U.S. A retired DHS law enforcement agent was also indicted. The Justice Department says a Chinese agent hired former DHS agent Derek Taylor to obtain personal information about three Chinese dissidents. Those details included passport information, photos, and flight and immigration records. Taylor sought DHS officer Craig Miller's help in obtaining the information from a restricted federal law enforcement database. 
Court papers say the two men lied to cover up the facts when the FBI confronted them. Both are also being charged with obstruction of justice. If convicted, Taylor will face up to 25 years behind bars, while Miller will face up to 20 years. The case is part of a widening federal investigation over an alleged scheme to hunt down Chinese dissidents in the United States. Along with Taylor and Miller, three others also have been indicted on similar charges. One of them is a former correctional officer in Florida. Official documents did not specify that the dissidents they harassed were Chinese. But according to intelligence, one of those he targeted may have been artist Chen Ming. As for why he may have been singled out, he previously created a sculpture in California depicting Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping. He named the sculpture CCP Virus. Nearly 20 more Chinese cities are facing another round of the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. In northwestern China, Xi'an, a new round of lockdown measures were put in place last week. They're set to last until this Wednesday. The rules suspend indoor dining for restaurants and bars. They also ban gatherings in public places. Schools and kindergartens are also closed. While college and university students are confined to their campuses. Worth noting that for Chinese colleges, all dormitories are located on campus. The night before the restrictions took effect, the public square in front of the city's train station was seen full of people waiting to leave the area. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.